Okay, go for it. Okay, because this is a hot take, and this is <laughs> a <laughs> we love hot takes. Hot take, pet peeve, whatever it is. Um, but you know, there are all these buzzwords that have that have been happening in this time. Uh, one of which is unprecedented, you know, or uh, that that kind of thing. But one of the things that I hear a lot is Eucharistic fast, and my perspective on this phrase is a fast is beneficial a fast is done for spiritual benefit and a fast is voluntary if you're being forced to fast like if you missed lunch or forgot your lunch at home and are involuntarily not eating that's not fasting that's starving if you're doing it for extended periods of time and i would call this eucharistic starvation i think it it doesn't do good to everyone to sugarcoat it and not realize that we're lacking something and i was reading um the book praying is believing that has a quotation about why infants should be given communion and the quotation says essentially the act of receiving communion is so integral a part of the Christian spiritual life that our Christian growth is stunted without, if, if we're deprived of it for an extended period of time. And I just see the church as a body doing an about face because for very reasonable public health reasons and urgent reasons, we can't have our regular Sunday services that we're suddenly saying, oh, it doesn't actually matter. The church is everywhere, which is all all well and true. but we are missing something that's very important and central to the Christian life. Well, today for All Things Right and Musical, we have a special guest with us, uh, Micah Walter. Welcome to All Things Right and Musical. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Micah, if we reflect on um, kind of the last normal Sunday that you had at at your parish, and and tell us the name of this church in Amherst, Massachusetts. It's called Grace Episcopal Church in Amherst, Massachusetts. Um, It's a thriving parish in western Massachusetts, the more rural side of of the state. Liturgically, they are a fairly middle-of-the-road parish, I would say. There's a fantastic volunteer music program so take us take us through that that last kind of normal day and i don't know precisely what the date would have been for you but um the last sunday when you showed up to church with business as usual um describe describe the scene for people who don't know the parish what would that have what would that day have been like i would have gotten there at nine fifteen in the morning to rehearse with the choir there's an all-volunteer choir um it's an audition choir that uh, is taken to a fairly high standard. And uh, Beth Damon, the choir director, would have run us through the hymns and we would have gotten vested for the service. And um, there's a rector and a priest associate. And we would have, we would have had the service. <laughs> we would have had Eucharist. Um, everyone would have communed and there would have been a coffee hour afterwards. Yeah, so, so are we talking like right to Eucharistic prayer A? Yeah, they use right to at both of their morning services. And um, does the choir sing sing for both services or just one? The choir sings for just one, although there are hymns at the earlier service as well. And they condense this to one service during the summer. And they use 
uh, mass settings. Most of the time they use mass settings composed by the organist um, who, who does great liturgical composition. But this was during Lent. And so we were actually using Prayer C during Lent. And we were using the Missa Maria Magdalena settings of the mass. And I had just started serving as a lay Eucharistic minister. So um, the way they do that is they have three lay Eucharistic ministers and one of them is sort of functions as the subdeacon and stands at the altar with the priest and deacon. So um, this last Sunday, was it the first Sunday of Lent or a second Sunday? Do you remember? I had a, I was um, playing violin for an English country dance in Albany, New York, uh, the first Sunday of Lent. And I went to uh, Trinity Church in Lenox, Massachusetts, the first Sunday of Lent. That was the last normal Sunday. Oh, that's interesting. So, so having been away for a week, you know, you, you felt like you were coming back to your church. And so you probably appreciated in some small way the things that you had missed the week prior. Exactly. Um, and I'd, I'd been to Trinity Church in Lenox before, and it's, it was nice. Um, but the second Sunday of Lent, things changed, but we were super tense. So we were still yeah. doing everything. But mm-hmm. I, believe, I believe there may still have been coffee hour. But Eucharist was strongly recommended to be taken in one kite only, even by the priest, according to the right. bishop. Right. And, um, and I had been s- scheduled to be a lay Eucharistic minister that day. And so it was, a, it was very interesting. Yeah. And it was strange because we were still in the process of, of figuring out what it meant. It, you know, the changes happened within the span of a couple of weeks. And the things that were phased out, interestingly enough, were not the things that we now necessarily consider to be the biggest risk factors. The choir was singing as usual, um, but there were no to be no handshakes at the piece. And there was to be recommended communion in one kind only. So fast forward to um, now, you and I are recording this in late July, 2020. so you you've had that sort of last tense Sunday, so it's almost like um, the last Sunday after Epiphany for you would have been kind of your last normal Sunday in the church. Um, reflect on that experience of just having been away for four full months. I mean, have you been back to the church in in any capacity or driven by it or anything like that? No, um, I live in Greenfield. And my partner lives in Northampton, which is where I work. So Amherst is a slight detour. And I attend that parish um, for a number of reasons. It, it, it is a good fit. Um, but at the moment, I don't, I don't actually work there. And there's been little reason to go by. I've been by the lo- local church in my town um, where I am. And actually, the Wednesday after the second Sunday in Lent, I went to the midweek Eucharist at St. John's Episcopal Church in Northampton which was my last Eucharist um, since, since Lent. And I think it was, it's very interesting to go out on the said very informal Eucharist communing in one kind, hoping to celebrate the Annunciation next week. And didn't happen. Entirely, yeah, didn't happen. Right. So I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't been to the parish. I have talked to the priest a couple of times. Um, I got a call from, from the vestry uh, who wanted to get in touch with everybody in the congregation, both to let them know about what was happening. And the priest wanted to personally uh, contact everyone in the congregation to, to be in touch. 
And at Easter, the ministers of the church, I believe in, including the music ministers, uh, requested that people send in pictures of their Easter celebration. And that was compiled into a video. And I sent in um, a picture of my home altar for Easter um, that I had celebrated at in my own way, but no sacraments and, and no, no virtual church. So no, no virtual church of any kind from Grace? No, uh, not for me. And at first there was none. Um, the rector, uh, Tom Simon, he, I guess, anticipated some pushback from the congregation, um, but his position was, I mean, again, we didn't know how long this was going to last, um, but the, the bishop of the diocese had suspended all worship. And his position was, well, number one, the National Cathedral is already set up to do this well. We don't need to duplicate the effort to put on a production. Number two, this can help us feel more together as a national church body if we are participating in this common virtual celebration. And um, I, think, I think that those were the two things that were mentioned. But what he started doing is said is there is a daily prayer email that has been sent out um, every day to the members of Grace Church who are on the email list, which includes a short prayer. And some of them have been be very beautiful and a selection from the prayers of the people and an inspirational quote or poem. And that's been essentially the, the daily prayer of the church. And on Sundays, um, the Eucharistic, Eucharistic lessons are mentioned. It's interesting because the major saints days, which don't, generally get celebrated if you're only going to church on Sunday, you know, Mary Magdalene, uh, get, get called out and celebrated. Yeah. That, that's been a really nice thing for me. Um, just given the, the, the sort of my capacity to, to work, I can only do so much, you know, for Sunday. Um, so it's been nice to channel some of that energy into the lesser feast days that, you know, other, otherwise we wouldn't do anything. It's just a, just a typical parish church. Exactly. Yeah. And both uh, he and the priest associate were sort of recording sermons um, to send as standalone YouTube videos on, on Sunday. And I have to say, I, um, not that they were bad or anything. I listened to one or two of them. And then, you know, I was only able to do so much. I was watching the cathedrals, the cathedral services, which grew steadily longer as they brought in guest preachers from other traditions. <laughs> and, you know, in this time, there's only, you know, so much so many things you can do like the options have opened up you can you can get any number of live streams it is i mean this time is remarkable in that it is kind of a blessing and a curse that you know before this time there was uh, a certain number of places where you could go online and experience some kind of live worship or recorded worship um and then now you know there's so many more places that have added their um, uh, efforts toward online content for worship. Um, it, it is overwhelming. Um, but I, I do like, I, I really do like that reflection about, you know, um, the National Cathedral being able to do this really well. Uh, why would we kind of spin our wheels trying to recreate that when we don't have anything approaching the infrastructure that they do? Um, and also that instinct that uh, this is something that could unify us as a church if we were all tuned into one um, to one place. I really had that sense around Easter day, uh, because that was so early on, 
um, in our time dealing with this and um, that effort to record that anthem virtually on that Easter Day service. That, to me, that felt like a moment when the, when the Episcopal Church as a whole was really gathered around um, kind of a single uh, liturgy, more, more or less. Mm-hmm. Something that occurred to me kind of in connection with this is is the passage about uh, when you pray, go into your room and close the door. And it seems to me like uh, the instinct that, that my church, that a lot of churches have to really make quality online content and put it out there, um, that grows a little bit wearisome because as you say, you know, there are places that really were set up to do this well before the pandemic hit or um, more to the point, they were already doing it. Um, so they, they didn't need to change really anything about their broadcasting, even if the logistics of their service changed. Um, so, you know, there's a part of me that is really attracted to, um, the idea of a a personal or a domestic prayer life, um, uh, that doesn't require like an audio visual element per se. So can you reflect, can you reflect on that kind of for you, what it's been like to receive those emails and and receive those reflections from your from your home parish. Yeah, I'll say for as far as the cathedral goes, you know, if 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 you want the audiovisual experience, find music that, you know, and just hearing those hymns on the organ. I actually know the uh, principal organist of the National Cathedral, Tom Sheehan, because when I was singing in the Harvard University Choir, he was the associate organist there, and he was a fantastic organ player, but also a wonderful human being. His liturgical background is impeccable, but he's incredibly adaptive in his musical styles and in improvising. Um, and so I couldn't think of anyone better to sort of respond to the situation that we have found ourselves in. Um, so, so, and Imani Grace Cooper of the National Cathedral, you know, uh, I was like reading the YouTube comments and people are saying, where is she? You know, and she's on vacation, she'll be back because so many people have been, uh, <laughs> Have, have really, you know, had had a spiritual experience uh, listening to her uh, singing. But so so the National Cathedral can do that. But if if that's not the thing that you're after, which is, is not the only thing people are after in their spiritual life, well, then then what? What is that? And and for me, that's not. You know, for some people, um, the relationships within the parish may be one of the most important things about their Sunday morning experience. And for them, I completely see how doing something on, on Zoom makes sense. Actually, um, Grace Church started doing a Zoom coffee hour. And they have started doing also a an abbreviated service-like YouTube playlist where you can go to the different parts of the service. Um, but for me, I've... Um, I've been, my spiritual life has been, yes, uh, reading the daily emails and also SSJE, this is Society of St. John the Evangelist's um, Brother Give Us a Word ministry. Um, they have a two, two three sentence uh, thought at the beginning of the day. And so that, that helps me begin the day. 
but I wouldn't consider it my primary spiritual sustenance. What I do find most helpful is the personal practices. So I've been praying the daily office or at least morning and evening prayer most days for about a year and a half now. And it's really struck me that this is a routine that hasn't changed much. I usually didn't say it together with other people and and that as, has at least remained a constant. So in terms of seeking out the things that are not severely affected by the pandemic, at least that is that is a thing that that grounds me. Even if I'm not having a you know spiritual experience that's palpable every time. Yeah, but still but still maintaining that that rhythm and that habit of of prayer um, twice a day. Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing is, as I mentioned in my email, I'm a, a probationer for the um, Fellowship of St. John, which is a group of both clerical and lay individuals uh, who are uh, sort of friends of the Society of St. John the Evangelist who commit themselves to a, a simple, flexible rule. Right. And our, our listeners can't see this, but unless I miss my guess, your Zoom background is the uh, chapel of the Society of St. John the Evangelist in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Is that right? That is that is correct. Yes. Okay. Um, but one of the things that I commit myself into the rule is, and I, you know, I'm, I'm still growing in this, but uh, committing myself to regular contemplative prayer, a habit that I've been able to keep fairly well is to is to fast during the day, at least once a week on, on Fridays, and use that time to have a, a mini retreat. So I will either walk meditatively for half an hour or try to sit and meditate, um, take, take my time with the office and an intercession. And, um, you know, just like you can have a, a yearly retreat that might last a few days or a weekly sabbath or retreat you can also have just an hour and spending an hour outside a news feed and outside outside your head um has has been really grounding in a way that like trying to keep up with zoom and, and screens doesn't always feel and and the thing is just like you were saying um go into your closet go into your room and, and pray before your father who sees in secret there's almost a sense of you know it's real because there's no pretense about it you're only doing this because you believe that you encounter god there and uh rich as the services of the cathedral have been um there were two weeks in a row where i where i didn't tune in and one of those uh weeks i did uh, a spiritual communion of, of saints peter and paul together with my partner and the week after that i led morning actually it could have been two weeks after that i led morning prayer um and and we sang together we sang the um in two parts the sylvanic chant adapted te deum and the plain song benedictus and a couple of meaningful hymns and because this is part of my regular rhythm for me i wasn't frantically juggling books but i was able to slow down and and sort of live into the prayer and realize that, you know, a congregation of two is still a congregation. Um, which is which is one of the things I wanted to talk about. This is sort of a chance for us who are, who are fortunate enough to be able to see one or two other Christians and pray with them to really um, 
see that as an icon of the church, a the church in its fullness, which which is also something I did uh, for Easter. We got up at four thirty in the morning, and had uh, we were going to be on retreat for for Holy Week and Easter, uh, but I was at her apartment at four thirty in the morning, and uh, we actually had made an exalted roll. I don't know if you know these creations from uh, 10th century Italy. No, I don't think I do. They're a Southern Italian tradition of having the words of the exalted for the deacon to chant on a long scroll or roll, and then illustrations upside down so that as the roll falls down the lectern, the congregation sees the illuminations. Wow. Oh, that's incredible. I got I to gotta read more about that. So this was my... Uh, my chance as a uh, as a lay person in the church to to chant the exalted <laughs> rejoice now heavenly hosts and choirs of angels and let your trumpets shout salvation for the victory of our mighty king rejoice and sing now uh, and and it was a very meaningful vigil uh, to paraphrase Dr. Seuss, Easter came all the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, anointing ourselves with unblessed water at the renewal of baptismal vows and uh, reading the an excerpt from the homily of St. John Chrysostom uh, to keep the feast. It was a very powerful moment. So yeah, it's, it's, these, it's these small practices of, of taking silence and time. And, I, and one other thing that's actually a digital thing, but I, but I think has worked itself into being a, uh, an integrated part of my, of my practice. So again, um, SSJE has been thrown into the idea of experimenting with uh, digital technologies, which is something that they never would have thought that um, they would do, uh, being very incarnationally minded and a witness of peace and stillness in the midst of a a busy uh, digital world. But they've been live streaming almost every evening prayer uh, for months now, uh, which is 6 p.m. Tuesday through Saturday, I believe, and 4 p.m. on Sunday. And I usually don't tune in, although I get the notifications. But what I've been doing the past month or two is on Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m., I tune in, I have the broadcast in the background and I start washing the dishes while listening. I pause for the Fos Hilaron and for the Bangdificat. They, the they alternate, they do with Psalms uh, 110 through 113 and 114 through 117 on alternate weeks. So I'm, I'm really learning those Psalms uh, better and better. And it's all sung in plain song and there's enough stillness and I can work with my hands, washing the dishes and chopping vegetables while this is happening. And then it's the service is usually done by the time I have to do anything too involved with the food. Um, but it's a way for me to sort of keep in touch with the, well, number one, the relaxed, the peaceful pace of the office that they used, um, keeping in touch with this worshiping community, having an extra spiritual moment on Sundays without overcrowding my day and, and making it feel relaxed. It, it provides a schedule to my Sunday. I eat on time and it is a, it's a joyful Sabbath-like thing. How especially meaningful is that to you as a, 
a probationer in the fellowship of uh, the Society of St. John to be able to to interact with that community uh, virtually. I think it, it continues to provide a sense of groundedness. One of the things I love about the community is that they have a daily round of Eucharist, 20 services a week that in ordinary times, the public can dip into at any point. And so I would dip into an even song or show up on the Tuesday night Eucharist. But it was more all the more meaningful knowing that there was a, a life of prayer and liturgy happening all the time. And they continue to offer up their liturgy, even though I can't participate in the sacrament of the Eucharist on behalf of, of the fellowship and on behalf of the world. And these live streams are, are a chance for me to remember that, to have a, a visual and aural manifestation in prayer as, as I pray that they are still doing this work, even though I'm not a part of it. I never was fully a part of it. I was always dipping into it uh, for spiritual strength along the way. And they're in Eastern Massachusetts and I'm in Western Massachusetts now. So I don't actually get to, in ordinary times even, visit every week. And so this is actually an enhanced opportunity for me to remember that connection on a weekly basis. And it's, and it's good to have a, a uh, also good to have a, a tangible reminder that they are doing well. Um, I want to shift the conversation because we've been talking so much about liturgy and prayer um, more to music because you mentioned that you sing in the choir at Grace and Amherst. And so I just want to talk about, um, you know, what have you sensed from not singing in the choir for several months now? And uh, in what ways are you trying to, um, in what ways are you intentional about listening to music or, or making music? Many of the singing friends that I know from the Sacred Harp community, especially, have expressed their their deep pain at not being able to sing together. Many of them, I know of one instance in which they've uh, there's been a you know attendance limited outdoor masked singing, but the people feel a great need to see each other and and to sing. And some have tried Zoom singings. So there have been a couple uh, virtual choir type events that I actually have participated in. Um, I didn't hear about them in time, and one of them was 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 so beautiful. It's the um, the hymn from the Southern Harmony, where it's in, I mean, it's obviously the Sacred Harp song "Hallelujah" by William Walker. All right, Rachel called one forty six. Oh, let's sing the notes and <laughs> first and last repeat. Well, it's, it's about the the joy of being united with God, even in death. Um, but there were a couple uh, very poignant moments in that video when uh, a singer that I knew from New England who had moved to Oregon to be uh, with her ill mother was there singing next to her mother. And a local singer I know from Western Massachusetts was there with his one-year-old daughter chewing on the other end of his earbud and as they're singing and will sing hallelujah when we arrive at home. It, it, was, it was very beautiful.
I think that was one of the moments where I recognized that something is missing. But other than that, I believe in similarly to the reality of praying alone or in a small group, I believe in, in the reality of, of small, mindful singing. And as I said, I, I, uh, I do have a partner that I see regularly and, and she sings. And so we will occasionally sing hymns in two parts. And one thing I've been learning more in the past few months is, is the banjo. And some of these sacred harp songs that I've sung, I've adapted to singing with solo voice in the banjo or two voices in the banjo. And that has been another way to keep in touch with the traditions I know, the songs I know, in a way that feels non-performative and not excessively mediated. So, so imagine, if you will, that this, this pandemic has come to an end uh, and that we're on the other side of this and that for the first time, you know, you have attended um, worship at Grace in Amherst and um, things, you know, by, by all accounts, things have returned to normal. So from that perspective, what are one or two things that you would be grateful for at that time? I, I have to say, uh, simply partaking of the Eucharist. Um, for me, this is quite possibly the single hardest part of, of, of the spiritual life at this time. I would hasten to one small said mass far more quickly than to hear my favorite choir. <laughs> my partner, um, cries a lot at hymns, mm. finds a lot of deep religious feelings when singing hymns. And last Sunday at the National Cathedral, we had one right at the beginning and one at the end. We had, um, it's to the tune, God Me of the Great Jehovah, but it's in the Christian responsibility section. Uh, is it God of grace and God of glory? Yes. Okay. And then the closer was actually an, an Easter hymn. Um, which was very fitting actually. And, and they're both very powerful hymns. And so some of the key, some of the key deep meaning of, of sacred music is still, is still accessible to us, I think. Uh, I know this is going against everything that I said about, you know, excessive focus on, on live streaming, but it's, it's true that some of, some of the, the key musical uh, qualities can, can come through. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I, I really would have to to experience it. You know, I think now that I think about it, just reverencing the altar as I come into church or um, hearing the people around me say the Lord's Prayer. I mean, I don't know wh which of these things, but I think I think any or all of them could restore that sense of 
this is what worship and community is like. Yeah, no, you, you've sparked in, in my imagination all kinds of all kinds of sensory images about you know just the little um, moments of of experience during the liturgy that you're right any number of them could could sort of leap to the fore in a in a situation like that. The the acolyte uh, carrying the cross. I I love introits. I love the anticipation and and energy and joy that that begins worship. Um, and so I'm just thinking at the monastery the bell that sounds just before Eucharist and everyone rises and the organ starts. And, you know, Grace Church uh, doesn't, doesn't use incense, at least not often. Um, but uh, one, of, one of my memories at SSJE at the Easter Vigil is, you know, at that, at that key pivotal moment, Christ is risen, the lights come on, the organ comes on, the bells are ringing. But for me, seeing the altar being sensed uh, was the most powerful moment. And it's these symbols of celebration of community, you know, just walking around the altar, you know, it, again, it's very Eucharist centric, but it's also very community centric. We're, we're gathered at this place for this purpose. And it's these small symbols of um, bringing the congregation into the worship together that, that are very powerful. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of All Things Right and Musical. If you've enjoyed this conversation with Micah Walter, we hope you'll tell us about it. You can find us on the web at writeandmusical.org. That's spelled R-I-T-E and musical.org. Check out episcopalcafe.com, where we are a featured podcast. You can also find out about other Episcopal shows on the podcast section of Episcopal Cafe. A special thanks to our generous patrons who support this show on Patreon. And a very special thank you to you, Micah. Thank you very much for being our guest on this episode. Always happy to be able to talk for an hour about liturgy <laughs> and, and other things of a philosophical nature. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.